You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Okay, Scott, how about this? We do a uh, live action Little Mermaid, but with way more butts. Oh, I love that. But what if we want to screen it on a family friendly streaming service? Oh, easy. Uh, we'll just cover up the butts with a digital blonde merkin. Okay, I have some notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the podcast that dives into the ocean of cinema to save movies from themselves. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are discussing the 1984 film Splash, uh, starring Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah. Uh, Both in uh, in the beautiful 80s. Yeah. Sexy, sexy 80s people. Very, very Um, baby-faced Tom Hanks. (laughs) Right? Twice now, you can hear the audio is going to be like, but first, I just wanted to, how are you guys doing? That's all I was going to say. But first, why not start with, how you guys doing? What's what's new? Good. I mean, the worst of the heat has passed, so that's always nice. Yeah, we're kind of in heat wave 1.5 right now, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's better than it was, that's for sure. Yeah, it got patched to be more tolerable. <laughs> the, <laughs> the user interface is better. <laughs> Uh, any watching anything uh, exciting, interesting you want to talk about off the top here? I've, I'm still going on my um, catching up on classic films that I have no excuse for having never seen kick that I've been on. And I uh, finally got around to watching The Untouchables because it's on Netflix right now. Uh, it is a very good gangster movie. It turns out not overrated. Nice. I watched it when I like I, I picked it myself. It wasn't like something my parents put on. But like when I was like 16, I watched it and remember liking it quite well. But I have not seen it since. That's good to know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's, uh, let's call it punched up history, uh, uh, that it, uh, maybe the actual events surrounding uh, uh, Ness's uh, bringing down of Capone were not so glamorous and not uh, such a, a tidy narrative for, for Elliot Ness. But uh, I mean, Al Capone was already a larger than life person, and uh, it's kind of okay to draw from history and mythologize it a little if it's if it's fairly harmless. And uh, I think that's the case here. And I think if you're just mindful that it's punched up history, it works. And it, it does make for a good gangster movie. So, As I recall, the, the climax to that movie is pretty highly dramatized. Oh, right? uh, like incredibly so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because like, isn't there like a rooftop chase? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like, and like <laughs> yeah. a cathartic showdown with a bad guy. Like it's, yeah. it's definitely, they've definitely uh, punched up history a little bit, shall we say. But, uh, I mean, it's it's still very good. It's uh, quite a good film. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, well, I guess spe- speaking of history, I, I watched a movie that I, I started watching because it looked interesting. And then I finished watching because we did Splash this week. And I realized there was a lot of crossover. So I'm like, I better finish just watching that movie. Might not have finished watching it. Um, which is also not a recommendation for this movie. It's like a, a pass. Uh, but I watched a flick called American Pickle. That's the one with uh, Seth on Rogen, right? Yeah, it uh, stars Seth Rogen and also Seth Rogen as two people. <laughs> um, it's about a, 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 a Jewish immigrant to Brooklyn a hundred years ago who uh, dreams big, works hard, gets 
gets a wife, is is living the American dream, and then falls into a pickle vat and is pickled for a hundred years, uh, and then comes out of the pickle vat perfectly fine and brined and preserved, uh, real man yeah. at a time, Captain America style. Um, obviously very silly, uh, but then <clears throat> meets his great grandson who is also Seth Rogen and the same age, and it's it's just sort of like a reflect like that. I don't know if, maybe it's a stoner thing, but have you guys ever had that thing where you think about, like, if you had to explain your life to your great-grandfather, like, what it is, like, we're, what we're doing now, podcasting. Like, right, yeah. you know, my grandfather was, I mean, literally this character, Herschel, in the movie is a ditch digger a hundred years ago, uh, and then comes to New York modern day and watches Seth Rogen scoot around on a lime scooter, and... um but it's also like kind of a reflection on like family and legacy. Um, and it's mostly good. It it's, it's fine. It was pretty funny. It seemed like a passion project for Seth Rogen. Um, and I, like I said, I finished watching it because it's also about a person from not here walking right. around New York city going, Ooh, what's this? Like splashes. <laughs> so fair enough. Yeah. I did see the trailer for that. I was, I was, uh, interested in seeing it. Um, Slightly disappointed to hear that it's only a pass, but I still may check it out. Like a dead, like a dead fifty-fifty. Like it's it's yeah. not not a recommend, not a not recommend. If you like Seth Rogen, <laughs> if you like weird comedies, if the premise sounds funny, it has some it had some good laughs. Like the fact that he he starts making pickles out of uh, cucumbers he pulls out of a dumpster, salt, rainwater, and reused um, uh, jars, and Brooklyn hipsters love it. <laughs> um, as they were yeah. yeah 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 a lot of good good moments well that'll push it slightly down my priority list but i still may check it out uh speaking of movies you should throw down your uh priority list i watched uh woman in the window have you heard of this yeah Amy adams um based on a book of the same name uh, it's about an agoraphobic woman who's living alone in New York, and she starts spying on her neighbors, and then and witnesses a murder. Witnesses a murder, yeah. R- rear window-ish. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. It's very, the first act is specifically is very rear window, and then it kind of becomes a psychological thriller. Um, you know, was the murder in her head? Was it real at all? Um, it's uh, directed by Joe Wright, who also helmed... Hannah, which I love, and Dark Darkest Hour, which is, I don't know, okay. But this one's kind of a, a bit of a miss. Like, a lot of the performances, and surprisingly, because it's Amy Adams, but they're they're pretty flat, and I don't know whether to attribute that to direction or the style of the film, because it's, it's got a very um, play-like feel. Like, it's got a very stage feel to it. And I think part of the reason for that was to... Um, draw you into Amy Adams character's mind to sort of um, make you off kilter and sort of help you visually wonder why or wonder whether she's really experiencing the things that are happening. Um, But it's also kind of jarring a little bit. I just don't think it was executed uh, really effectively. So um, yeah. And, and it's the, the, (laughs) <laughs> the twist in the movie is just kind of like a bit too derivative to be exciting. So I don't know. I, I, I it's on Netflix. If you want to watch it, you can watch it basically for free. So, um, but yeah, I might, uh, I might throw that one down the priority list. As I said, well, yeah, let's, uh, let's uh, talk about splash then. Um, uh, 1984 romantic comedy directed by Ron Howard. 
uh, written by Lowell Gans, Bruce J. Friedman, and a guy named Bubaloo Mandel, <laughs> uh, who I will be looking up the Wikipedia with as soon as we're done here. Uh, his name got punched into the notes just as we started, and I did not get to learn all about the career of Bubaloo Mandel. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll follow up. I'll have a follow up report on the life and times of Bubaloo Mandel next time <laughs> we record. Uh, in the meantime, uh, this film stars Tom Hanks, uh, Daryl Hannah. Uh, John Candy and Eugene Levy. You heard me right. John Candy and Eugene Levy are in this ding-dang thing. Uh, that was a real treat. That was a real surprise. Uh, but let's, uh, let's go to the trailer. Bauer. Alan Bauer has a very successful business. Okay, Bauer, you're ruined. You're finished. You're a ghost in this business. How'd you like some bananas at cost? Deal. He's got the wisdom and support of his brother, Freddy. I love this guy. Do you hear me? I love him. Give me a Kids, what's the matter? You too big? Give me your... I just want to meet a woman. I want to meet a woman, and I want to fall in love. It's not much. And worst of all, Alan Bauer feels with all his heart that he doesn't have one. Freddy, something in here is not working. There are worse organs not to be working. Where to? Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And then, one day, accidentally, from out of the blue... It happens. Just looking at her is pure ecstasy. Just touching her is a lifelong fantasy come true. Just being in love with her plunges him into a wondrous world of rapture and enchantment. Just one problem stands in his way. A little secret she's trying to keep all to herself. As a young boy, Alan Bauer was saved from drowning by a young mermaid at Cape Cod. Today, Alan is a lovesick fruit peddler with a hole in his heart the size of exactly one human woman. After being mysteriously rescued yet again from yet another boating accident, Alan finds himself face-to-face -face with his very beautiful, very nude rescuer, Madison. The two fall instantly in love, but Madison has a very fishy secret. Will their love last when Alan learns the truth about who or what she is? It's an 80s rom-com, so of course he will. Yeah, I had not seen this film before we selected it. How about you guys? Nope. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a fresh <laughs> film for all of us. It was one of those ones that like had the um, the air of like you should have seen it when you were younger kind of thing like the air of a classic comedy, um, mm. but yeah, it never it never came across my desk. Yeah, little little before my time, but I had I had heard about it more than a few times. Like oh, the Tom Hanks mermaid movie because a lot of Tom Hanks movies are summed up by the plot, like the Tom Hanks Island movie, the Tom Hanks he's stuck in an airport movie, the Tom <laughs> Hanks but he's a he's a kid but he's big now movie. Like he's, yeah. he likes his strong premises. I don't know. I was uh, I was in uh, I, I mentioned to you guys before we started recording. I was in kind of an ornery mood when I started <laughs> watching this movie, uh, which is probably not the best way to start watching a romantic comedy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be like, uh, fuck laughter and fuck romance. I hate everything, you know, before you start watching it. It's, uh, I don't, it's, it was okay. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't feel like, um, I was, um, laughing enough and maybe that was partly due to my mood, but considering all the comedic talent, uh, the film had, I was just like, maybe a little bit disappointed on the, on the comedy side of things. Uh, 
yeah, we, we were very excited about this. We we're like, yeah, summertime. It's a good summertime movie. Heat wave. Let's watch Splash. Yeah. <laughs> um, lots of lots of uh, uh, wave emojis in the group chat. And then we all watched it. We're like, yeah, this, this is a good movie. It's fine. Um, it's not the it's not the summertime blast I thought it was going to be. And my I really hyped it up that I'd be like, <laughs> be all beachy. And it was so, yeah. it was about what I expected, um, which is, I mean, not high praise. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I agree that uh, the cast is maybe a little bit wasted on this film, um, but I'm also going to say that maybe at the time a lot of them weren't like huge names. Um, Tom Hanks probably was though, mid '80s, yeah. early mid '80s. He was probably like the the he's on the way up major heartthrob at the time. Um, but uh, like was overall, he ever a heartthrob? I, is it? Well, this would have been after Big, right? And that was no pun intended. No. Big for him, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh yeah like I don't think I don't think it's the cast's fault that this movie is a little flat. I think that's that's more a script Flat's problem. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Um well, what'd you like about it? Like what did get you cuz we're going to we got it sounds like we got lots of notes for it and I I don't this isn't one I really want to like dunk on. It's more just like <laughs> um like it was just kind of kind of flat. But yeah, what what did you what did you like about well, it? Well, again, definitely like the cast. I mean, most of them are in their young, beautiful prime, and uh, and there are some solid comedians in this movie. Um, I kind of like the ending, just because it's a it's a weird little twist on the whole it Little Mermaid thing, right there, where instead about her leaving her world to join him, he leaves his world to join her, and that's. That's kind of a neat little twist on that that I I actually appreciated. I I wish it wasn't as abrupt. I would have liked to have seen yeah, a little denouement. But uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to find out what happened to some of the other characters. But uh, but as endings go, a, a surprising twist on the on the obvious ending was was kind of nice. It mm-hmm. definitely got me thinking about like the logistics of that choice via Tom Hanks because like. She couldn't speak English when she got to the service, right? And, like, presumably that would mean that, you know, he can't speak whatever it is. Fish. Her language. Fish. <laughs> yeah, your fish language. Yeah. yeah. Underwater. And, like, do his vo- vocal cords even work underwater? I mean, it's magic. I just kind of assumed say? he'd eventually turn into a mermaid. Yeah, the it's just magic is that this is big on the rom-com and low on the answers to your sci-fi questions. Um, but I need to know. <laughs> to the point where I don't even think it's fully explained why she's only got a seven-day window. Nope. To be no, something, something full moon, I think. Yeah, something, yeah something literally magic. it was something, something full moon. I've got seven days. It's not about that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> we just like they were Arbitrary just like we need, time we need limit, a don't worry about it. yeah we need a ticking clock here uh the moon <laughs> and that's the end of that Which i kind I, of i kind of surmised from the from uh like out of context that like she could only have human legs during the full moon that was kind of i guess what and then she can then she'll return to the to the sea and she wouldn't be able to go back on the land ever again i don't know that's yeah. what it sounded like yeah, I, I didn't mind that you didn't get those sci-fi answers when I was watching it, but it is very much going to be part of my fixes anyway. Um, <laughs> Having just ripped on me for, for wanting more explanation. <laughs> no, I, wasn't, I was just pointing out, like, don't expect it. Like, no, you will not get it. Yeah, the movie is, is really focused more on, um, I guess, their relationship. To the detriment of 
a lot, actually, in hindsight, yeah. um, because it means that we get introduced to a lot of really interesting side characters who we don't get enough time with, I would argue. The same problem we had with uh, You've Got Mail, uh, that we're introduced to all these interesting side characters and they all just kind of disappear. Um kind of happens here but in reverse because they all disappear and then they come back and then it's just we're done with them now they've served their purpose it's just unfortunate (laughs) it's just unfortunate writing some of their character quirks don't really affect the plot in any real way like john john candy's kind of a a screw up that's uh and he's tom hanks's partner in the uh the fruit peddling business until he's not (laughs) yeah i guess (laughs) and like and like his his him being a screw up doesn't affect Tom Hanks in any real way. In fact, I think the only thing that um, that John Candy really contributes to the plot is is being able to convince him to to go after uh, Madison, in and then the helping anyway. him, and then helping him break into the research facility. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which, because I, I know I'm going to forget it, and it's not a real fix. I do have one thing I would change right now. Um, so there's a scene when they accidentally take. Um, Tom Hanks to the research facility in case he's a mermaid mm-hmm. and he's standing naked in the pool with his hands over his junk. It's kind of a funny scene. Yeah. Uh, and then they rescue Madison, yada, yada. They get her out and John Candy stays as like a, ha ha, fuck you. We, we took the mermaid and I'm here. And it is very funny that he sticks around and he's fishing in the mermaid thing. And he's like, Hey there fellas. And he's like lighting a big cigar and it's like, ah, we, we, we gotcha. He should have been naked in the in the um, <laughs> in the thing, holding his junk. Like, hey guys, I'm your mermaid. Like, it just would <laughs> yeah. have been missed opportunity to have John, big John Candy naked in a in a pool. This kind of t- ties into uh, an earlier criticism you made before we started recording, though, which is that the movie sets up a lot of stuff that then doesn't really pay off or pays off in a really uh, kind of half-assed way. Yeah. Yeah, the example I, I, I that stuck out to me was <clears throat> Madison can't speak English, so she learns it all from uh, spending a day watching TV while Alan's at work, and then he's like, so you learned English? And she goes, yeah, I learned it from TV, and I can get you bargain barrel discounts. Come on down to Crazy Eddie's or whatever. She just, like, spouts out ad jargon. Um, and then for the rest of the movie, she speaks perfect English. Uh, and at no point does she keep spouting out ad jargon later, uh, or or is that in any way? It's like it, it's just it's nothing. It's a nothing. She could have come to land knowing English. It's fine. <laughs> There's the, one. Yeah. The, uh, the, oh, sorry. <laughs> the fish out of water stuff kind of disappears pretty quickly, yeah. unfortunately. And that's yeah. and that's kind of that's where you would think most of the comedy would come from in a film like this. In in, in fact. W- during the dinner scene, um, which is, I think that's the end of the second act, there's a, a, a moment where Daryl Hannah starts eating crab or lobster, lobster, and she just eats right through the shell. And I had forgot, like, the fish out of water stuff had been forgotten about for so long. I was like, oh, right. Uh, she's a mermaid and she'll do weird things. Like it just, it, it was, it seemed like they, uh, like a lot of mystery opportunities, like Liam said. Sorry, I want to stick on the eating lobster right out of the shell. I vividly remember in our Venom episode talking about how there's a scene where Venom eats a lobster <laughs> out of a shell and how that was something um, uh, Tom Hardy like wanted to do himself. That was like his bit. I wonder if he's a big Splash fan. I wonder Maybe if he's he just is. like, I want that sick joke Daryl Hannah got in the 80s. I want to do that. I'll have what she's having. He's a big Daryl Hannah fan and just yeah. he, he just wants to pursue her career. Um, yeah, no, the, the one... 
the one obvious setup that seemed like a miss for me was uh, Eugene Levy's scientist character keeps getting injured throughout the the third act, really, when he when he finally shows back up into the plot. Um, and then at the very end, he goes to like make a noble and heroic sacrifice by standing in the way of an oncoming vehicle. And I was like, oh, the joke is going to be that he's going to be run over by the vehicle, furthering the he keeps getting injured. But instead, he dives out of the way and then just falls down a hole. And it's like, oh, that... That didn't seem like the joke. You, you, you. It feels like you missed the joke there, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I mean, yeah, it's it's was... a cartoonish enough movie that him being run over by the army jeep would have resulted in him being injured like Wiley e. Coyote. Like, I have no doubt that he would have survived. But that seemed yeah. like the joke they were going for, and then they just don't do it. <laughs> you could have you could have had it as like maybe like a moment of like he makes a, hero- a heroic last sacrifice or whatever and then he just shows up again at the end of the movie and he's fine he's just in like a full body cast i know i i legitimately assumed he was going to get struck by the car the car was going to stop people were gonna be like oh my god and he was going to be lying there going uh this is my week uh and then later on you'd see him in traction but you know he made the heroic yeah. sacrifice but instead he just he just jumps out of the way and falls down a hole and again that wasn't the joke guys that wasn't the joke <laughs> you missed it <laughs> <laughs> You are adjacent to the joke, but you're not at the joke. What happened? <laughs> Eugene Levy's good in the movie, though. I, uh, oh, for sure. I, I enjoy, he, I liked his uh, his uh, over the top screaming performance. It almost he it plays almost abrasive me, nerd very well. Yeah, it, uh, it the way that he played it, it kind of made me wonder if Jason Alexander had stolen some of that for George Costanza. It, <laughs> it had shades of that a little bit. Yeah, that's a yeah. Very high intensity. What did you think of John Candy and his character? The charming creep touch. is something that yeah. he plays very well. <laughs> the uh, the whole thing with how he's uh, John Candy's character is a kid. He's like dropping coins to look up women's skirts, and then as an adult, he's still doing it. That that was wild. You'd never see that in a movie nowadays. I mean, <laughs> no, nobody carries change. Well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> Hi oh. <laughs> I I see what they were going with for the characterization with him, but it it was kind of gross. Um, and again, it's something that kind of goes nowhere. I'm going to use it in my, my fixes. I'm going to, I'm going to make John Candy more useful. I'm going to make Eugene Levy more useful. Good. Because they are not well used in this movie. Again, they, they all just disappear for the second act. The entire second act is just Daryl Hannah and Tom Hanks swooning over one another for the most part. Mm -hmm. And her having hilarious fish out of water adventures in New York, but and then it's like, oh, now that we, now that we've established that for a full third of the movie, I guess we should get back to the plot. And then, like John Candy and Eugene Levy reappear. <laughs> it's it's just I, like they, they weren't well integrated. You you needed to do better, guys. The the instant swooning is something that bothered me. Like I recognize that in a romantic comedy, you kind of have to get the whole meet cute stuff over with and the love at first sight stuff. You know, it, it helps move things along quickly. Um, but in this one, it was almost egregious how quickly it happened. Because, like, the opening scene is Tom Hanks, his character as a kid, falls into the water. And then he sees a mermaid. And I, I guess she saves him from drowning. I don't... Well, did, I can't remember. Does, did she kiss him or something? I don't remember. And then it's strongly anyway, implied that she was instantly in love with him in that moment. Yeah, because she's, she's like, she sees, she sees him get pulled back into the boat. And she's crying, and I'm like, "All right, that's a little, that's a little soon." Movie, and then uh, when Tom Hanks gets thrown overboard in a in as an adult, and again rescued by Daryl Hannah, 
the first thing she does is just instantly make out with him. And now, like, I don't know that to to me, like, the fun of a romantic comedy is like, uh, it, at least in part, is the run up to the romance, not necessarily like the instant romance. I don't know. That's just me yeah. personally how I prefer. No, I think, I think Greg is not. in it for the chase. <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah. But also, so everything you're describing, Greg, ties into um, a a quite a problematic trope that this movie uh, uh, really embodies. Uh, and as I was watching this flick, I was like, "Oh, it's the it's the born sexy yesterday trope." Uh, I watched this whole great video about it, and I to to you guys and to our listeners, I would highly highly recommend a YouTube channel called Pop Culture Detective. Uh, he does really good deep dives on pop culture, but specifically masculinity and male sexuality in uh pop culture like his most recent episode was or, or video was about like all the scenes in movies where men cry and what cry how crying and men crying in movies is depicted uh one of his older ones though is about the trope born sexy yesterday uh which this movie uh, uh traffics in quite heavily um Lilu dallas multipass from uh fifth element is the other great example and we missed it on tron legacy but uh the character in tron legacy as well uh, so Born Sexy Yesterday is this idea of it's, it's adjacent to the Manic Pixie Dream Girl where um, uh, a man meets a woman uh, who is uh, extremely naive because she is not from here. And because of that, he looks like this genius man because all he knows is how to be an everyday schlub, but she doesn't know everything. So she, he, he gets to, to show her how to be a human in the world something he is good at by being an everyday man uh and it's, it's super problematic for like at, at best it's that of just like male ego of like how do you take a simple man and make him better than average is like change yeah. the perspective of who's looking at him that's the yeah. best way you can take it <laughs> uh, but more often than not it's a sort of a perversion of like the lolita thing like kind of like, like yeah. i want a naive innocent woman uh untouched by other men uncorrupted by other men uh, I want a woman who's not my equal, who will um, uh, not judge me. I don't want to be embarrassed or or um, insecure uh, as I get compared to other men because she, no, she really doesn't know any other men. Uh, and it's because she's an alien or a mermaid or a robot or being colonized is kind of where this like sci-fi has taken out some of the colonialism of it, but it's like deeply rooted in colonial shit. So this movie traffics in it to the point where i was i was like watching this i'm like it's that trope i recognize that from that that video i went back and watched it he cites splash a hundred times and i had forgotten because <laughs> i'd never seen this movie uh, <laughs> so my big fix uh hinges on that and i think everything you were talking about there scott and my big problem with it was yeah that she she's she's as good as a child and he that never seems to phase him i i think the scene where i cringed the most was where he gives her a gift and she doesn't you get the joke of like oh it's beautiful and he's like open it and she can't even operate the bow and it's like even if you think this is like an immigrant woman who jumped off the bo a boat or whatever if you if i give someone a gift and they didn't know how bows work i would feel like i took advantage by sleeping with them yeah. like I, I would not be this person clearly does not have all their mental faculties and it, it, it throws re consent it into really question creepy. yeah it really calls consent into question if she doesn't know how bows work and has been like pretty and pointing at a walk sign like and you slept with her like it's just eh, you slept yeah. with her before she even spoke english in fact yeah yeah so uh, i i hope i did a good job summarizing that trope i really would recommend uh, folks look it up because they they he breaks it down succinctly just all the ways in which it's a, a very problematic perspective because it yeah it, fe it fetishizes 
a gross power imbalance between a man and a woman. But also, like, it really infantilizes her in a kind of gross way. Yeah. 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 Speaking of the warp male perspective, there's one scene um, that kind of made me think about, you know, how audiences might have looked upon it then as compared to now. And it's the, the, um, the bathroom scene where mm-hmm. they, at night, Daryl, Hannah, and Tom Hanks are sleeping together. Um, Daryl Hannah's character gets uncomfortable um, because she's a mermaid. So she goes to the bathroom and draws a bath and, you know, turns back into a mermaid and start and just is just relaxing. Uh, Tom Hanks's character uh, gets up and then starts banging on the bathroom door because uh, he perceives something is wrong and uh, is just like berating her to open open the door and like like I feel like the you know the 1980s audience was probably like thinking that like oh well you know clearly Tom Hanks's character is in the right he's just concerned about her safety and it, you know needs to needs to get into the into the the bathroom and make sure she's okay but like from today's perspective it's just like it it feels really aggressive and violent in a way that yeah. kind of made me uncomfortable yeah you don't kick the bathroom door down if the person's answering i'm fine yeah. it's okay you yeah, kick it fine. down when there's no answer yeah like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was a it was a very weird scene the other weird scene was um when Daryl Hannah's in, she's in that like that dolphin basket, you know, and being put yeah. into the into the tank mm-hmm. at the at the lab when they capture her, and they were, I don't know, there was something about the visual that that was just disturbing to me, like seeing like a, seeing like a human in one of those nets like that. It just like it was like wow, this is this does not have the visual feel of a comedy to me at all. Like it was. Just I mean, like, at that point, we're we're getting into like. E.T. being hustled away by men in hazmat suits stuff yeah. like it's it's yeah. meant to be it's meant to be uncomfortable and disturbing so that you empathize with her and and recognize the scientists are the bad guys the yeah. scientists are always yeah. the bad guys in the 80s yeah a nerds, complete reversal from the 60s where they were the heroes in all of the mm-hmm. sci-fi movies uh yeah i also found that scene upset but in in like kind of a good way i'm like oh this is an effective scene this makes me like truly like fear for her and empathize with her and it was yeah it was a weird visual in a, in a i think a good way i guess I, i'm reluctant to say i liked that part but like <laughs> it it was it was interesting and something i hadn't seen on film that made me engage I, with yeah the movie. i just i don't mind um some heavy contrast in in a f- film that's largely comedic because it, it can be used to great effect to to drive home character motivations and and you know it it can also be used in some ways to make the comedy stronger later just because you have that kind of contrast of those serious moments buttressed with the the comedic moments i for some reason that the this particular scene just kind of pulled me straight out of the movie and again, uh, I'll preface that. I'll, I'll, I'll remind everyone I was not in a good mood when I watched this movie, so maybe that's part of the reason why. I want to say, and this is complete aside because it just came to mind, the squash scene between Tom Hanks and John Candy, <laughs> which is which is very funny. Uh, 
and it, definitely one of the one of the better interactions between the two of them in the film. I have seen clips from that squash scene out of context before, and I would never have been able to place them. And I'm positive that it was like the Wide World of Disney introduction. Back when I was a kid, there was shots of the scene from the squash court where John Candy like gets hit with the ball and falls down. I had no idea where it was from, and it's <laughs> I'm I'm impressed at how like. I was watching the scene and I was like, I've seen this before. Where have I seen this before? I'm positive it's from the introduction to the Disney, uh, the Disney movie night back when I was a kid. Like, <laughs> nice. And uh, like, it's just, it's amazing to me how striking that specific visual was. Cause I have again, never seen this movie, but as soon as that squash scene started, I was like, I've seen parts of this before. Where have I seen this before? <laughs> That's wild when that happens. Yeah. Well, let's say we, uh, we get into our fixes then. The Edmonton Community Foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create strong, vibrant communities for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group. Once it reaches $10,000, you can start distributing funds. We also want to tell you about Vital Signs, an annual checkup conducted by the Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with the Edmonton Social Planning Council to measure how the community is doing. This year's focus is on arts, philanthropy, green spaces, and sports and recreation. Learn more at ecfoundation.org. Today, I want to tell you about ATB's new podcast, The Future Up. Join Todd Hirsch, ATB's Vice President and Chief Economist, as he connects with special guests who offer unique and useful perspectives about the future. Explore how our economy and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunities it creates. From the future of women in business to the changing nature of work itself, The Future Of helps us understand what's coming and what we need to do today to get to the tomorrow we want. Featuring two episodes each month plus bonus episodes, The Future Of includes interviews with top community and business leaders from Alberta and around the world. Subscribe to The Future Of in the Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. And connect to ask your questions about the future by emailing thefutureof at atb.com. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. Scott, Greg, let's fix Splash. Let's make, uh, let's make a bigger splash. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> can I uh, can I start? Because I think mine my fix is right at the beginning, and I feel like that mm-hmm. might actually be a good way to, to splay this out. So one of my biggest problems, I, I, I believe I mentioned this in the, in the first half, is just how, how quickly the uh, romance occurs. And, and the only thing that happens right at the beginning when, uh, when uh, Tom Hanks' character falls into the water as a young boy is that the young mermaid sees him for two so- seconds and instantly uh, falls in love with him and, and then is crying when she he's put back in the boat and uh, out of her life forever. What I think would be more fun, and it might actually help the audience understand Tom Hanks' connection to Cape Cod, is that if his family uh, sort of owned like a beach house or something like that at Cape Cod and that they returned to the beach several times so as a, as a child we see him just a few times like maybe maybe you know there's a quick montage of like three or four times he just keeps going into the water and seeing this mermaid and he he's just has this infatuation with the water because of it and because they see each other multiple times it makes a lot more sense when later on in the movie um she sees him again and and she's um really taken with him 
So very, very simple, but I just like, that's the one part of the, the movie that sort of bugged me the most. Now, how does he not know she's a mermaid when he sees her for the first time with legs? Like, how well, is he not like, oh, you're the lady I saw outside of my parents' Cape Cod house? I think it's the same way that it is now where he he's he was just a really young kid. You know, maybe maybe you can have a quick scene where they, they board up the beach house. They lost it, you know, when he was like four years old or something like that. And then ne- they never return. I think it can Easy. he can be a little older than that because I think that dovetails well into one of my fixes, which is Tom Hanks's job. Um, because the fact that he's a fruit vendor is immaterial to the film. Like it, it means nothing. It goes nowhere. It, it doesn't actually serve anything. And I think that a way to um, make him have a, a stronger motivation and a stronger link to the overall plot of the film and to bring Eugene Levy more into the film is if he is an oceanographer. And I think that if up until he's like six, seven, eight years old, he has these frequent encounters with a with a girl in the water who he is sure is a mermaid, and then he just never sees her again after that. The family loses the or sells the beach house, maybe because he's being weird. Um, who knows? <laughs> but he becomes obsessed. Like his life becomes. I I'm sure I saw a mermaid when I was a kid. I'm sure I did, and I want to find them again. And that leads him to become an ocean researcher, and that ties him better in with the whole government plot and when he meets her again at first he he might not realize that it's the mermaid that he met when he was a kid like he can still be rescued by her and then she's got legs so she's clearly not a mermaid um but maybe he thinks that she's a girl that he saw down at cape cod all those years ago maybe that ties into a little bit and then it starts to develop into a romance and then oh crap she's actually a mermaid and I think that that can tie in with Eugene Levy as well, because Eugene Levy can be like, he's found a mermaid and he like, he's, he's still, he's, he's hoarding it to himself. And I need to, to expose this and I need to, I like to prove that she's a mermaid. And then that ties him more into the story and he can be like creepily stalking them through the second act and making more attempts earlier on to try to expose her for what she is because he disappears in the second act, but he's so important to the third act, have him more tied into the story and having Alan and him be, rivals like work colleagues i think that works better and then they can also it can it can lead to the character arc a little better with him because then when he realizes he's done a a bad and she's like locked up in the in the facility and and she's clearly ill and dying and he's like oh i've actually done a terrible thing like that can cause him to reconnect a little bit with with his colleague tom hanks and yeah. and like an actual sort of friendship can can start to develop oh, there yeah, yeah so there's a better That's character a, arc there too you know what else i like about that scott is that because you're getting uh eugene levy involved earlier on with trying to out her as a as a mermaid there's there's some extra comedy opportunities because he doesn't really know how uh, he can expose her, so maybe he's trying to like lure her with a bucket of fish or something like that. You know, yeah, just, like, no, absolutely, yeah. That's a, yeah, very very similar conclusion I came to um, in terms of wanting more Eugene Levy, the villain in in Act Two. Um, uh, I, I I like what you're putting down. I think you, we can all fold it in together. I I don't care what his job is. I, I don't think he. Needs I don't to think the movie right. cares what his job is. Yeah, <laughs> I, and I don't either. My fix. I don't. Care you and the either. movie are on the same wavelength. And I mean, but uh, to I, be clear, just before you you move on, we can still have John Candy there. He doesn't need to be yeah. a researcher. He can still be his brother. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, not even even though his character is kind of creepy. No no changes to John Candy, and it sounds like we all don't have much changes for the third act. So 
so so far so good um so yeah i actually wanted to use um i wanted to also get eugene levy connected to them more but i don't think it necessarily has to be professionally um i actually want him as i'll just break it down i ended up i started thinking about this because my two biggest problems with it were big time the born sexy yesterday trope i wanted to just cut that all the way out and see if we could it it mostly results in a page one rewrite but (laughs) wanted to, to cut it all out um and I did want a little more explanation of why, like, what the rules of her mermaiding are, and if we can use that, but not in any, like, I need to know for nerd reasons, it's just like, <laughs> I, we can use it, it can it can be a tool in our tool belt. So, so my pitch uh, goes thusly. Uh, act one starts off not with uh, young... Alan on the boat, but um, a full-grown mermaid, Daryl Hannah, as the mermaid 25 years ago, an adult still. They are ageless. They are creatures of myth. They don't need to to age the rate humans do. Uh, So 25 years ago, a full-grown mermaid gets dumped when she reveals she is a mermaid to some guy on land. He freaks out. He goes, oh my god, she's a mermaid. This woman I thought I love. Mermaid throws her in the water. No one believes he saw a mermaid, and we never see that character again. This is really just a setup that we learn that she gets to go on land for seven days every year. And for years, she has been going on land to do the Little Mermaid thing, to meet her prince. And every time she shows a guy that she's a mermaid, they freak out. They try to kill her. They dump her. They run away. They think they're crazy. She can't She can't land a guy. All of her relations end badly. And this is the year that she gives up. This, this 25 years ago in the 50s or whenever Tom Hanks was a kid, she's going to give up. As she's going away pouting, giving up on love forever, she does happen to rescue a little boy, and she is a full-grown, sexy mermaid lady. It really leaves an impression on this little boy. It's Tom Hanks. <laughs> uh, we see that boy grow up into an adult man, who, in my version, is still a fruit vendor, um, but maybe he can be an oceanographer. <laughs> um, but he is a notorious uh, commitment issues guy. He He won't say, I love you, just like he doesn't in this movie. He leaves women at the altar. He ghosts women. Uh, we could have a whole montage of him breaking hearts all over New York City, most of it culminating in like him in that moment where he's supposed to say, I love you, dropping the ball and not saying it. So that that can get paid off later, because in this movie, that's his big thing, but it's never really set up nicely. Um, so he's ready to give up on love. So 25 years ago, she gave up on love. Modern day, he's giving up on love. Meanwhile, Eugene Levy is obsessed with mermaids. Can't get enough of him, just like he is in this movie. And he's getting close. He's getting real close to finding her. And early in the movie, he ruts her out of her hidey hole. He 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 basically finds her, and she has to run away. She she can't be can't, doesn't want to be caught, doesn't want to be found. She runs away, and the only place really to go is on land, where a wistful Alan is looking off into the ocean, wondering why he can't find love. Uh, and immediately she gets, she gets her legs. She like they do, and that's their meet cute. Is him being like, "Yeah, this is my girlfriend. I just met her on the docks." And he's like, "No, it's a mermaid. She's a mermaid. I know it. I chased her out of her hole. It's a mermaid. You're crazy. You're an idiot. Get out of here, Eugene Levy." That's Act One. Now they've got their meet cute, and they both have a secret to hide. She has to hide that she's a mermaid. He has to hide that he's gonna not commit to her and say "I love you" and and probably leave her one of the many broken hearts he's had all over New York and you get a whole bunch of scenes where she's trying to hide being a mermaid and he's like trying to like not run into exes or to like not tip that he's got commitment issues um 
and maybe both things are happening at the same time. Uh, kind of like in um, uh, I th- uh, You've Got Mail, where they're both like pretending to be the like. I think there's a scene in You've Got Mail where they're kind of both deceiving each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's your whole act two. You still get some jokes about her being a fish out of water, but it's more just like she hasn't been on land in 25 years and not she's a full mentally vacant as good as a child. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just more like she's she's never seen TV before or whatever. Uh, you get more chances for Eugene uh, Levy bumbling around. You try to avoid the manic pixie dream girl trope, but maybe there's a little bit of that in here. Scorned lovers is also kind of a, a hack uh, um, thing, but it's 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 still the '80s. It'll work here. Um, and then Act Three more or less stays the same, except I think maybe Eugene Levy. He's been trying the whole whole movie to find her. He teams up with one of uh, the most scorned of Alan's former lovers. Uh, maybe she uh, tells the mermaid that Alan's a flake, and meanwhile Eugene Levy is like gonna expose the mermaid and gets his shot and then the rest of the last act remains mostly the same i have i have like my pitch but she's she's intelligent and capable and as just as bad at dating as he is throughout the whole thing i actually i have one big change from from yours uh assuming assuming that we were just going with your pitch uh whole hog and that is i don't think we need to invent a whole nother character uh to insert here in in a scorned lover i think this is where John Candy's time to shine is. I think that hmm. just the the like well-meaning but oafish character that he is, he tells the mermaid <gasps> at it. some point, like, yeah, you yeah, like my brother, but maybe don't get too attached because he's not going to get too attached to you. Like, just an innocent aside, but he's the one who puts his foot in it and ruins the relationship. And that gives yeah. him further impetus later on to try to help fix it. When he realizes That's his brother cool. really is in love with this girl. And he's like, oh, that was... That's on me. That's my bad. Like, sorry about that. I, I need to help make it better. Yeah. And where I, where I got that extra character was just thinking of, like, the scene where he'd have to be like, oh, don't let my old ex see me here in this play. <laughs> like, if she can come back. But I think you're. I think that's better. I think that's a throwaway character of just, like, the one scene where he's got to not get, get seen uh, and have John Candy be the, the betrayer. The inadvertent um, yeah, betrayer. I, just, I think he, I don't think he, he means it maliciously. Oh, of course. But I think that it's legitimately like, I know my brother, don't get too attached. And then she's like, oh, and like that causes a rift. And then when he realizes his brother really is in love with her, like he can feel like dirt and he can be like, no, I need to help make this better. I'm going to help you spring her out of the research facility because you do love this girl. And I'm the one yeah. who went and ruined everything. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's that's uh, that's mine. I, basically, the big ones are give her agency and intelligence and capability and have instead of the ridiculous convoluted thing as funny as the scene is where um the reason he's out in a boat the second time as an adult is like he hires a shoddy boatsman who jumps out of the boat and then he falls out of the boat and then the boat gets away from him and now adult tom hanks is drowning it's very convoluted how they get him out in the water as an adult just just have the scene where eugene levy finds her be the impetus for her to have to expose herself for the first time in 25 years. I mean, him being an oceanographer also saves him having to rent a crappy boat. Um, that too. <laughs> and, and does help bring Eugene Levy uh, further into the plot. I think there's, I think there's elements of all three of our uh, fixes that, that work really well together, actually, that, that could punch up this movie in a collaborative way. Cause one thing that I will say that I find a little skeevy about, mm-hmm about your and and i don't mean to suggest that you were intentionally trying to be skeevy it's sure. it 
it feels weird to have an uh, to have a young boy imprint on an adult mermaid and for them many years later to hook up that seems a little weird to me that and i kind of like the idea of, of them uh, having uh, anakin and padme <laughs> kind of and i i like i kind of like the idea of them having been friends when they were kids and then sure, but meet back up later that scene is so nothing though that i just like i and the reason i have her as an adult is like it explains i just want to explain why she goes on to land I mean, we can and still also, have something like that uh, but and, i i do like greg's and, fix as well the reason I want her as an adult who has been like scorned by these lovers is like, I want her to have a, a stake in romance as well. Have a journey as well. No, that's, have a that's journey, fair. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so if she's, if she's been, if he's been, you know, not scorned, but like if he can't hold down a relationship cause he has commitment issues and she can't hold down a relationship cause she's a mermaid. Um, then they both have things that they're trying to hide about why they can't make relationships work for our wacky act two antics. Uh, and I think that only really works if if she's, I mean, I guess maybe, I guess maybe if they meet as kids, then that 25 years between the two is her having just as many bad dating experiences as he is. It's just her more water-based. But the, I wanted, I wanted to put some time between it because mermaids are creatures of myth. No, and that's... And so it's like, also, if we fair. haven't heard of a mermaid in 25 years, that gives Eugene Levy more shit to, like, obsess over. Like, <laughs> last time anyone said a little boy was, you know, like... I don't know, but I I feel like if I feel like there is there is a fix there if he's an oceanographer and a colleague of Eugene Levy's too, because then earlier on in the film you'd have them talk about mermaid legends. Yeah, because I mean it's it's up both their alleys. This is Alan's a guy who is just as obsessed with finding a mermaid as Eugene Levy, but he's not uh, not a jerk, <laughs> and uh, and has had that previous experience. Like he's sure he see he he saw a mermaid when he was a kid, but it's foggy and he hasn't been back to Cape Cod in years. But like you could have an earlier scene where maybe they're both at like a symposium with some very serious scientist mans, and the very serious scientist mans are scoffing at both of them, but they're like arguing over some mermaid legend that actually maybe ties into this uh, idea that she can come on land once every couple of years and only has seven days. And you can like establish that through the, the quote unquote serious scientists talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's probably a way to have um, Tom Hanks as a child, see the, the mermaid without it being, um, weird <laughs> it doesn't well no i don't know if it's well that's not how i characterize it but i, w- I would say that, like I, I i think um the trouble with keeping the meat cutes or the i guess it's not really the meat cute but their first encounter similar to how it is in the movie proper is that it that's the beginning of their romance i guess like from in that context i think that's why maybe it feels weird to us that that she's older and he's younger and like i you know if we see if we saw a movie the movie as as liam described it uh in a vacuum then maybe it wouldn't feel strange yeah. but if it, if it was more like if uh, the the mermaid um after having been rejected um is going back into the sea and then childhood Tom Hanks sees her from afar rather than being rescued or whatever, right? Yeah. He just sees like this, he just sees this woman walk into the water and then like, and then turn and sort of like almost obscurely kind of like dive in. And then he sees fins come out of the water and he, the, the kid is like, what is, what's going on with that? That's weird. You know, and then yeah. it turns out that's him later on in the movie. And like, I think I, 
Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be like like that direct um uh, meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was destined to be. It doesn't necessarily have to be that either. I think we've definitely got a couple good ideas here though. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I think that was a, a it was a really good discussion. There's a lot of uh, a lot of different ways to attack uh, a movie like this, right? So it's uh, it's kind of fun. Yeah, the, it's always the fun movie, rearranging all of it. This is one of those movies that has like a pretty good premise and an okay execution, and it's just a matter of like taking a step back, looking at it, and saying, "This could have been executed better. How could it have been executed better? How can we yeah. tighten up the screws?" Kind of like that, a, my 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 executed better was definitely the the born sexy yesterday thing. I was like every every choice I made was to x that out of the movie. That, yeah, I think you did. I, I will think you say, did that successfully. Like you definitely excised that part of it. And this is not meant as a defense of of uh, a problematic trope, but I will say that that is also a very modern view of a movie from the early eighties. Where, where, unfortunately, and this is again, this is not meant as a defense. It it yeah. wouldn't have been considered at the time that that was but a it's problematic. Not considered trope. now, because like I, I was saying when I was talking about it in the first half, it's a problem in Tron Legacy too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair point. You know, yeah. it's 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 not. It is a very much a science fiction problem. Also, the the the, the video pop culture detective. He he doesn't even get a chance to touch on how it's very pervasive in Japanese animation. It it's like all the time for decades in, oh yeah in a lot of uh, japanese animation so, for sure yeah. of just like can confirm <laughs> <laughs> having seen my fair share of of anime and and read my fair share of manga i can confirm that is the case yes still a problem today <laughs> robot girlfriends very pervasive in that medium <laughs> yeah yeah but i guess that there was also then the the idea of the um reboot that they've been talking about yeah um so this is something that i brought up that we should maybe touch on and uh liam is segueing into it despite the fact that liam and greg had not heard this rumor um it's been going around since about 2016 that they're looking at remaking this film and uh i I think things got kind of put on hold because covid happened um but to the best of my knowledge it's they've put a pin in it but they're still planning to do it and the rumor was that the remake was going to star uh a very sexy jillian bell and a very sexy channing tatum but the twist is channing tatum is the mermaid so they were going to gender flip it and i'm not going to lie having seen the original splash now i would watch that remake i'd watch it it definitely seems like it definitely seems like the studio thing to do. Like we want to, we want this, we want this sexy thing, uh, and we want to keep it largely the same. But we don't want audiences uh, like the the woke brigade to come after it. So we're yeah, gonna, we so we, we are aware of the problematic trope. So what if we yeah. what if we hilariously make the man the fish out of water? Yeah, and it actually it doesn't really solve the problem. Sorry to keep going back to this YouTube video I watched, but like one of the things he talks about is it, they, there are examples of movies where it's flipped, where it's a the, the man is naive and the power imbalance is the woman. Uh, uh, being you know smarter and knowing the world, and then the the, the male character not knowing anything. Um, and even when it ends in romance, it is never the naivety of the man that is part of the attraction, whereas it's always that way when it's flipped. Right. Um, like, because no grown woman is interesting in an, uh, interested in an infantile man, <laughs> whereas there's lots of men, unfortunately, interested in infantile women. So, Ruh-roh. 
Yeah, yeah. that's it's, problematic. It, it, so it doesn't, as much as it goes, yeah, gender flip it, it'll be fun. It does not solve the core problem of this movie. <laughs> I'm still going to watch that movie if it comes out, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. So, Mostly because um, I want to see Channing Tatum's abs. Yeah. Um, I had also not uh, realized, um, I, it was only in, in uh, reading ahead at some of these comments here, uh, and we will be going to listen listener comments here shortly. I didn't realize that they added hair in Disney Plus. The, the pitch <laughs> at the top of our movie, or at the top of our podcast, went right over my head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah so her butt was in the in did, the nineteen eighty four cut. You, her butt's everywhere. Yeah, did that scene not stand out to you when uh, it did? Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. "That's really good digital effects for the eighties." <laughs> but what do I know? Yeah, no, it's uh, there is there is a full butt. There is a full moon on display. There is a, a full moon that is seven days too early on full display in that uh, film in the original <laughs> cut. But because Disney does like to sanitize things sometimes for their family friendly platform, and it is kind of a pg-ish movie they uh they made some very clumsy cgi alterations yeah. <laughs> to disguise some the implied of the, some nudity. of the trimmings from henry cavill's mustache went on to her ass whoa <laughs> played. not not to be not to be crass but like i'm not sure they did a particularly good sh- good job because i i'm positive i caught nipple at one point in this movie fair enough and i i mean it does not look good <laughs> the no, digital hair does it not look, look yeah it looks it looks like they kind of like super impa- imposed like a bear's ass on <laughs> just like like it clearly like it's clearly fur not hair like i don't yeah they didn't spend a lot of money on it no they weren't, it's they, a, and yeah it's pretty clumsy <laughs> just show us a butt it's just a butt show us yeah. a butt yeah We've also got some great listener comments. Thank you to everyone who contributed whenever we solicit these on Facebook and Twitter. We always appreciate when you chime in. And, of course, we've now got our Instagram at I Have Some Notes Pod. Twitter is at I Have Some Notes. Facebook, just Google it or, you know, maybe just get off Facebook altogether. Uh, it's a, a nightmare, toxic uh, nightmare. Anyway, <laughs> but thanks for everyone who commented on our things on Facebook. Tony comments. The whole movie is a fever dream as Tom Hanks slowly dies from suicide. That is that is definitely a, a different version of this movie. <laughs> a much darker one, yeah. Yep. I had heard people trying to like pass around like a fan theory that it's it's a sort of um this movie's all in his head like a Tyler Durden situation and it it's a fun internet thing but I I uh I, there's too many points in the movie where like she interacts with other people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but I think that might be what Tony's referring to here. Um, or a, a, a take I missed, or a perspective I missed, but yeah. Nathan Martin comments, It's a cute slash pervy movie. The weird hair they did on the Disney Plus is really weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just a butt. Show us the butt. There is a show us the butt cut. Show us the butt. <laughs> Hashtag butt, butt cut. cut. <laughs> uh, there, is a, uh, there is a heart here in this movie. Eugene, Tom, John and Daryl. We're on first name basis, are we, Nathan? Gene, <laughs> Tom, John, and Daryl are funny. The movie is just kind of there. We often forget that Tom Hanks cut his teeth in comedy. Um, mm-hmm. Like he's he's mostly known now for being this very serious dramatic actor um, because he's he's matured into that. But like when he was young, he was a comedian. He was a comedy actor, and he did a lot of really funny movies and. Mm-hmm. Um, he still occasionally dips his toe in it, but I think that most people nowadays know Tom Hanks as being like the the dramatic the movie guy, the Apollo theater. thirteen guy, like yeah, the castaway guy. Yeah. I mean, I know so Daryl Hannah as as the Kill Bill lady. Let's yeah. be fair. 
Phobacula comments, watch this movie over and over as a kid. I love that it ends with him leaving his life and going with her. It's a, a bit of a gender swap ending to Little Mermaid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was nice that like he did he did have an, a proper arc where he like he learned to to sacrifice everything you know for her rather rather than uh, trying to make trying to make her fit his mold. Yeah, it, uh, I I had even mentioned it off the top. It's it's a nice kind of reversal to the expected ending, which is that she's going to find a life with him on land. Book of Lies podcast says loved this movie. Behold the mermaid. Tom kind of acted like a dick when he found out she was a mermaid. He I agree. Did. That scene was traumatic. That scene was like, I was like, whoa, this got intense. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it yeah, agreed. Yeah, and then he definitely like, did not She's kind of screaming well. for him, and he's just kind of not doing nothing. Hanging back in the cut. And, and the crowd. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was that was a very intense scene. Actually, I, I quite liked the scene where they r- reveal she's a mermaid to like, it's not just like in private to Tom Hanks, it's like to everyone all at once, which yeah. complicates things. Yeah. Good choice in that regard. Guru says Eugene Levy was so great. Whoa, 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 so Guru was so great. Is. Excuse me. <laughs> Eugene Levy is so great. He is a living legend, and he deserves your respect. If they remake this with Channing Tatum, they need to cast um, Eugene or Dan Levy as the scientist. Dan Levy as the scientist. <laughs> I love it. I Do bet. it. Make yeah. it happen. Uh, Salt and Burn. This pod says. What a week I'm having, in quotes. Underrated Eugene Levy. I mean, yeah, last two Eugene comments, Levy. Love, love for- Eugene Levy was underrated in that time period. Is the unfortunate truth. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't think people realized what a treasure he and, uh, like, uh, Catherine O'Hara the, were until the whole really, SCTV cast until yeah, Shit's like- Creek. Uh, those two yeah. in particular, like John Candy, yeah. became a big star. Um, but Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, on- honestly, had their big breakout in Shit's Creek, despite the fact that they've been comedic powerhouses for years. They've been tragically underrated. I think up until recently, Eugene Levy was just remembered as the dad from American Pie. And that's a sh- yeah. that is a shame. That is a crime. Because he is a very gifted and talented comedic actor. Um, I always think about him in the, as the, the guy with two left feet in Best in Show. Best in Show, great yeah. movie. That's going to do it for the podcast this week. Thank you to all of the people who commented. We appreciate that. And uh, wherever it is that you listen to this fine podcast, if you want to go ahead and leave us a review, subscribe, really does help us out. Hey, did you think Splash was okay, but it might have been better starring a different Tom? Maybe like a Tom Arnold or a Tom Hardy? Well, the hosts of Repodcasting might help you out with that. You can check them out and all of our other sibling podcasts right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. This is a good time to check it out because there are new podcasts joining the network. This is, um, did you know that we've been doing this show for six seasons six whole seasons and 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 um this is the end of our six so our next episode we're gonna do something a little special we're gonna have a live show we'll be live on youtube uh fixing wonder woman 1984 so look for that right at the end of the month at on uh, july 30th that's a friday i will uh, we'll tweet out uh, what time we're gonna start as we don't put it know in yet. your calendar put it in your calendar put it, put it in the calendar yeah. Until then, I've been your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the scouts.